Luke has introduced us to the main character of his book, Saul. Yet he has one more major story arc to tell us about the core apostles centered on Peter. Peter is working out of Jerusalem, but he is being faithful to take the message of the kingdom in neighboring territories. He has seen the spirit fall upon the Jewish people. He's seen the spirit fall upon Samaritans, and he's at least heard of the spirit falling on an Ethiopian. But there is one boundary Peter never expects the Lord to cross. Romans. Welcome to Anakinosis, where we renew our minds towards biblical worldview in the scriptures. This is a show for anyone looking to build or repair their biblical worldview. Whether you're 100% comfortable in the current Christian culture, or you feel like an outsider looking in, everyone is welcome. My name is Jeremy Egan. I'm just a guy with a Bible literacy background who has ASD and who thinks a lot about how to think. Today, we pick up this arc about Peter. We start in Acts chapter 9, verse 32. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you, rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. We know nothing about Aeneas other than he was paralyzed in the town of Lydda, which is modern Lod, right smack in the middle of Israel, about 25 miles from Jerusalem. And Sharon sounds like a city here or a nearby town, but it actually is a territory that Lydda was in. It was from the center of Israel to the Mediterranean Sea. Peter is doing what Jesus did, showing the restorative power of the kingdom through healing. And it's super fun that this is continuing amongst Jesus' earliest followers. Twelve more miles southeast of Lydda is the village of Joppa, right on the water. Today it's called Jaffa. Next, as Luke jumps into a new tale in this story arc. Verse 36. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging, Please come to us without delay. Tabitha. What a loaded description for this woman, full of good works and charity. She was a servant of the kingdom and everyone knew it, but now she was gone. Except that is 100% unacceptable to the people who love her and who are loved by her in Joppa. She's too valuable to be gone. And so they go down to find Peter. Verse 39. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorca made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside, knelt down and prayed and 
Turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Holy cannoli! The resurrecting power of Jesus is still among his portable temples. This is the ninth resurrection in the Bible. Elijah raised a boy, Elisha raised a boy, and then his bones raised a man. Jesus raised three people, and then Yahweh raised Jesus. There were a bunch of others that were raised as first fruits at that time as well, but I'll count that as one. And then Tabitha. And this woman's too precious to her community to lose. She clothed people generously. And they show Peter how valuable she is by showing how valuable her work was. They cried out to Yahweh and his spirit in Peter to bring her back. It's a mighty demand. It's an act of dangerous faith. But... She lived again. And the ripple effect of Tabitha's return from the dead was that many new people put their trust in the resurrected Jesus. His resurrection likely becoming more believable in light of the resurrection power right under their nose. Up the coast from Joppa was another port city named Caesarea, a Roman garrison city named after Caesar that was once the home of Pontius Pilate, and boasted a grand harbor, auditorium, and event track built by Herod the Great. Acts chapter 10 At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who's called Peter. He's lodged with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, He called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Okay, so we've got Cornelius. He's a captain of Roman soldiers. He's a pretty powerful guy, yet he has a reputation for fearing Yahweh rather than the gods of Rome. He's generous with his money. He's known to pray. And in one particular prayer, he gets a very clear response from a messenger of God saying that all of his generosity was like a fragrant offering to Yahweh. Yahweh desires to draw near, to save, and to send his spirit upon this Roman. And remember, Romans were the brutes that occupied Israel. They were the problem. They were the enemy. But somehow Cornelius had become a man of God, though not Jewish. There's no evidence of conversion or circumcision or anything that would make him clean in the eyes of religious Jews. The messenger specifically recommends Peter be involved. Now, is Peter ready for a Roman to be a little portable temple of Yahweh too? To be a follower of Jesus too? 
Well, he might be getting close, and here's why. He's been staying at Simon the Tanner's house. Biblical authors are not big on the details and only reveal what they think is important to understand what is going on. The name and profession of the man Peter is staying with in Joppa is pretty pointless, isn't it? Unless it's not. See, a tanner works with dead things, dead animals. And working with dead things makes you religiously unclean. To live with a tanner is to make yourself pretty dang unclean. So Peter, the religious Jew, seems to be chilling out a little bit on the law of Moses and is looking to follow the law of Christ, to love Yahweh and love others. Verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and he saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by the four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, this is pretty funny to picture, but some commentators think that Peter's hunger trance caused him to not see a sheet, but a sail on a boat passing by. And that doesn't take away from the spiritual encounter, because whether it was a sheet or a sail, God superimposes a bunch of wildlife on it that are taboo for religious Jews to eat, whether on a sheet or a sail. And Peter's instructed to kill and eat, and he says, no can do, Padre. And this repeats three times. As Yahweh declares that if he says something is clean, it's clean. And interestingly, he doesn't say, if I say something is clean to eat, it's clean to eat. This vision has very little to do with actual food. No, Yahweh is making a statement about people too. Nobody was going to be out of his reach, black or white, tall or short, religious or non-religious, straight or gay, talented or untalented, murderer or non-murderer. Yahweh can restore them all, including Romans. Now, Romans aren't on Peter's mind yet, so this whole thing is confusing. Verse 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius... Having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you and to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them to be his guests. Now, I bet this was initially scary because remember, Cornelius sent one of his soldiers. So one of the three men is a Roman soldier. And so it's really cool for God to say, hey, Peter, it's okay. Don't hesitate. I sent them. And then he kind of has surrendering words for them, right? I'm the one you're looking for. Why are you here? But I think Peter is starting to connect the dots. No matter his former understanding of things and no matter his prejudice, Yahweh was going to do what Yahweh was going to do. And he was orchestrating a get together between Peter 
and Cornelius. And this starts with Peter opening Simon's home to the uncircumcised Romans, including a soldier for the night. What a big step. The next day, it becomes crystal clear that Peter got the message Yahweh was laying down. The next day, he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why you sent for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who's called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. And so I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Peter has an open invitation to tell Cornelius and his loved ones anything about the kingdom. Anything at all. Open mic arranged by Yahweh himself. Verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are the witnesses of all he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Short and sweet, and it hits all the points, doesn't it? It's the gospel, the life, death, and life again of Jesus, whom Peter knows is pretty common knowledge around those parts in those days. But who is Jesus now? Who is the risen, ascended Lord? He's the judge of the living and the dead, and that's that's pretty universal, isn't it? And who could be a better judge than a man who has no sin and who loves people first? And what is he offering Cornelius? Forgiveness of sins through Jesus' name. And what does that mean? Yahweh's not holding out anything. He's not holding anything about us against us. It's washed away. All the times we chose what was right in our own eyes, washed away. Every time we made our own gods, washed away. Every time we hurt ourselves or others, washed away. It's all pardoned. Isn't that scandalous? 
We love it for ourselves, but we struggle with it for those that we don't like or have darn good reasons why we think they should face some justice. But justice is robbed by Jesus. So how do these Romans react to Peter swinging the door to Yahweh wide open? Verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to remain for some days. They believed and they were saved. That is the work of the believer, to believe. That is all. Yahweh takes care of the rest. And through Jesus, he pardons us and restores us. The Holy Spirit of God requires no apostles' hands to get this going. These Romans get instant Holy Spirit fire and a miniature version of Pentecost right there in Caesarea. The score is now 3-3 three to three on whether the Holy Spirit delays after belief or appears instantly. We're tracking that to figure out what we should view as normal. As we continue to build our biblical worldview, we want to think about what's what in our minds needs renewed. As Peter said it best, there's no partiality with God. He doesn't favor Tabitha more than you because she's far more charitable than you. He doesn't favor Cornelius' generosity over yours. He doesn't like Americans more than other people. He also doesn't like them worse. Isn't that good news? Yahweh isn't prejudiced, and in a world that is run by prejudices, it's damn refreshing. We can be little temples of Jesus' kingdom of restoration when we watch our words and watch our habits and our hearts and we keep them from prejudice. It's worth the battle to be better. And when you notice that in the grocery line that you were thinking pretty ageist thoughts about the old lady in front of you who's trying to write a check in 2023... Jesus doesn't hold that against you either. He would simply say, go and think that no more. Thank you for listening. Anakinosis is a project for anyone anywhere who's looking to renew their biblical worldview. Next time will be the second half of Peter's Ark.